Hello and welcome. The purpose of this personalized podcast is to review psychotic disorders, paying particular attention to the neurobiology that may be implicated in the symptomatology that you may be seeing. First off, a psychotic disorder implies an inability to test reality. So you will hear the phrase reality testing used often with respect to identifying if someone is psychotic or not. Some manifestations of psychosis include symptoms such as hallucinations, delusions, and disorganized thinking and speech, referential thinking, and frequent illusional perceptions. Psychotic disorders are generally known to have a strong genetic component. I'm going to go over the clinical manifestations of psychosis, uh, give you a definition of each one, and then tell you how it may be manifested. So, the general manifestations, the clinical manifestations of psychosis include hallucinations, delusions, disorganized thinking, disorganized behavior, referential thinking, and illusions. What is a hallucination? A hallucination is a false sensory experience without stimuli being present. And it can be auditory, visual, tactile, olfactory, and gustatory. Now, with respect to hallucinations, there are two uh, qualifiers that can be applied to them. One is called hypnagogic, and the other is hypnopompic. And these are considered normative. So if you're having the hallucination at these two times, these do not fall under psychotic hallucinations as they are related to sleep. Hypnopompic is the hallucin is the false perception that occurs when you're about to wake up. And hypnagogic is when you are about to fall asleep. So if you're having these uh, alterations in sensory perception when waking, that is to say hypnopompic, or hypnagogic when going to sleep. These are not criteria to diagnose psychosis if that's the only time they're having these hallucinations. Delusions are a false belief firmly maintained despite evidence to the contrary, and the most common ones include persecutory, religious delusions, person may think they're Jesus Christ, or they may think that someone's out to get them, they may be very grandiose in their delusions, they think they're king of the world, uh, somatic, oh, they're convinced there must be a tumor growing in their abdomen despite evidence to the contrary, referential, they think that perhaps someone is talking about them or that they are the ones that are written up in the newspaper, jealous and erotomaniac, those are self-explanatory. Another clinical manifestation of psychosis is disorganized thinking, which is often referred to as a formal thought disturbance or disorder. And the definition of disorganized thinking is when someone has problems with information organization and interpretation that is best assessed in the speech pattern of the patient. Some examples of disorganized thinking include loosening of associations, derailment, one can be tangential, or they may explode with a word salad. Another clinical manifestation of psychosis is disorganized behavior. Usual behavior ranging from childlike silliness to outright anger at everyone, or selective even. Uh, but it's disorganized, and it can be characterized by silliness, unpredictable anger, difficulties with activities of daily living. They may appear disheveled, 
odd or unusual dress. This is the person that's wearing every piece of clothing in their wardrobe, uh, maybe wearing plastic bags, etc. Inappropriate sexual activity uh, and stereotypic motor activities. Another clinical manifestation of psychosis is referential thinking and delusions of control. This is defined as the belief that events, actions, or situations in the environment hold a special significance or meaning. This is manifested by thought insertion, thought withdrawal. They feel someone's putting thoughts in their head or taking thoughts out of their head or controlling their thoughts. They may believe that others can hear their thoughts or know them, and that's called thought broadcasting. And finally, uh, the other manifestation of psychosis is illusionals. Illusions are a misperception of an actual environmental stimuli. So it's important that you can distinguish hallucination from illusion. With a hallucination, there is no sensory experience. But with an illusion, there is a sensory experience, but it's being misperceived. And then again, it can be similarly manifested by auditory illusions, visual illusions, tactile, olfactory, and gustatory. So that is the distinction between the symptoms that form the constellation or syndrome we call psychosis. Of course, the most common persistence of psychosis leading to schizophrenia is all time-based, and you can review that in the DSM uh, criteria. I want to spend some time discussing the neurodevelopmental and neurobiological theories as to what may be causing psychosis uh, and schizophrenia. Uh, genetic deficits and defects are believed to be the cause of abnormal neural cell development, uh, such as deficits and defects in connection, organization, and cell migration. These include inadequate synapse formation, excessive pruning of synapses, and excitotoxic death of the neurons. Some intrauterine insults may also contribute to this picture of causation, such as prenatal exposure to toxins, including viral agents, oxygen deprivation, uh, maternal malnutrition, substance use and abuse, or other uh, illnesses that may have occurred in the prenatal period. There are several um, structural uh, defects or characteristics that are identified in people with schizophrenia, although none of these are yet at the level of being diagnostic. Um, so one is which uh, known to be enlarged ventricles. Uh, people with psychosis schizophrenia may have smaller frontal and temporal lobes. They may have cortical atrophy prematurely because some cortical atrophy can occur with old age, decreased cerebral blood flow, and hippocampal reductions. Now, these, all of these can be present, and the person can still not be schizophrenic, which is why these are not considered diagnostic criteria. These are more correlations on imaging studies identified with uh, psychosis schizophrenia. There is a predominant neurochemical theory with respect to the development of psychosis and schizophrenia. The leading theory is that there is an alteration in the chemical neuronal signaling transmission pathways, that there is excessive dopamine in the mesolimbic pathway. I will repeat that, excessive dopamine in the mesolimbic pathway and decreased dopamine in the mesocortical pathway. So pull up the image of the brain with the diagram and look exactly where we're referring to. 
Also, excessive glutamate, decreased GABA, and decreased serotonin. So you should review what all of these neurotransmitters do with respect to which is excitatory, which is inhibitory, where should the dopamine be, where should it not be, etc. Next, I want to review the symptom clusters uh, associated with schizophrenia and psychosis. And the only reason I'm doing this at this point is so, again, that you can correlate symptomatology with neurobiological uh, origin. Uh, first, the positive symptoms associated. What you may notice here, and positive symptoms are characterized as symptoms that respond positively to and that can be controlled by typical antipsychotic medications, which is a poor way to define it, but much of the time in psychiatry, we define the illness by the treatment. We say, oh, this treatment worked, therefore it must be that, which is a very poor way to do things. But in the absence of empirical findings, this is what we have to go on. Positive symptoms also can reflect excess or distortions of normal brain functioning, and they can be caused by increased dopamine in the mesolimbic pathway. That's the traditional uh, screaming, schizophrenic, psychotic, we would say, uh, ones that are perceived as dangerous. I'm not saying these are accurate, but it's all perception. Uh, what is the clinical manifestation of a positive symptom? How do you know they're having them? These are the people that will have hallucinations, delusions, referential thinking, disorganized behavior, hostility, grandiosity, mania, and suspiciousness. Conversely to the positive symptoms are negative symptoms, and these are symptoms that are thought to be less responsive to typical uh, antipsychotic medications. Uh, but may respond to and be controlled by the atypical antipsychotic medications. Again, a bad way to diagnose a condition based on the treatment, but again, in the absence of uh, biomarkers and empirical findings, that's all we have to go on. Negative symptoms represent a decrease or a loss of normal functioning uh, and caused, thought to be caused by a decreased dopamine in the mesocortical Airway, um, pathways. So you have positive symptoms, which are increased dopamine and mesolimbic pathways, and negative symptoms thought to be caused by decreased dopamine in the mesocortical pathway. What will they look like, people with negative symptoms? Uh, flattened affect, uh, alogia, which is known as poverty of speech, avolition, apathy, abstract thinking problems, anhedonia, attention deficits, um, sometimes these are referred to as the, the seven A's of negative symptoms, so you can help yourself remember them that way. Uh, associated symptoms with uh, schizophrenic disorder. Symptoms not required to be present to diagnose the disorder, but are often present and focus on the uh, treatment. So an inappropriate affect, this is our, um, you know, disorganized schizophrenic inappropriate affect, dysphoria, depersonalization, derealization, and high anxiety. Keep in mind, all of these symptoms can be caused by other things. But So what you're looking for is a means of organizing these symptoms in terms of time. These are not one time they have them and now they're gone. These must be persistent. And you can review the diagnostic criteria according to the DSM um, to get a better understanding of is it a condition or not. It's also important to rule out many 
uh, other conditions before landing on this diagnosis of exclusion, as much of psychiatric diagnoses are of schizophrenia psychosis. There are many differentials to consider, and those must be addressed first. So that's what the general medical workup should involve uh, prior to landing on the psychotic disorder diagnosis. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the pharmacologic treatments uh, so that they can be correlated in your thinking with respect to the neurobiological foundation to psychotic disorders. Uh, typical treatments, excuse the phraseology, are atypical antipsychotics. Those are most commonly used as first-line management in psychosis. Um, they function as serotonin and dopamine agonists, specifically D2 and 5-HT2A blockade. And the reason I will say these uh, chemical names and markers is you progress in your education. You should look up these medication names and know them by their pathway and their specificity. So 5-HT2A are all the serotonin-type medications. So specifically from there is how they differ. Uh, these are thought to have fewer EPS uh, adverse effects. Uh, they should have a lower incidence of tardive dyskinesia, but of course these can all be developed on any medication. Nothing is 100%. The distinction between what we call first-generation and second-generation antipsychotics is the interplay between dopamine and serotonin. Uh, as you know, serotonin binds to the 5-HT2A uh, heteroreceptors on the dopamine agonist neurons, thus further shutting off the release of dopamine agonism. Now, you know the positive symptoms are the increase of dopamine uh, in the pathways. By antagonizing uh, the 5-HT2A heteroreceptor on the dopamine agonist neuron, uh, the dopamine agonist release in the nigrostriatal and tubulofundibular and mesocortical pathways is enhanced. In other words, you're trying to get the concentration of dopamine to be more pronounced in those pathways. It's the decrease of dopamine in the right part of the brain that seems to be what we think is causing the symptoms of psychosis. There are uh, several dopamine pathways five of them that I will discuss um, to help explain both the therapeutic and adverse effects seen with the atypical antipsychotics. First, um, the mesolimbic pathway. The serotonin dopamine agonists block the dopamine in the mesolimbic pathway, which should cause a decrease in positive symptoms. Now, you must know and recall and be constantly cognizant of, all of these explanations are all theoretical. These are not empirically testable. These are theoretical explanations as to how we think the disease process is and how the medication works. It, with respect to the mesocortical pathway, the serotonin dopamine agonists increase dopamine in this pathway, causing a decrease in negative symptoms. In the nigrostriatal pathway, dopamine has a reciprocal relationship with acetylcholine. And in the acetylcholine pathway, when serotonin is blocked by the SDA, which is the serotonin dopamine agonist, which is the second generation antipsychotics, uh, dopamine increases. The acetylcholine pathway, uh, when serotonin is blocked by the serotonin dopamine agonists, dopamine increases. Therefore, uh, acetylcholine 
is decreased in the acetylcholine pathway, which then causes a decrease in EPS um, symptoms. The tubroinfundibular pathway, another dopamine pathway, dopamine inhibits prolactin. The blockade of dopamine by the second-generation antipsychotics, also known as the serotonin dopamine agonists, causes prolactin to increase. This can cause symptoms such as galactorrhea and gynecomastia. The uh, drug that's most typically associated with this is risperidone. So this is a common reason why people may need to have a dose adjustment or a discontinuation of medication, which of course poses a problem, especially if it's been working well to control the other symptoms. Hyperprolactinemia is associated with the antipsychotic and may cause also sexual problems because as the prolactin goes up, the testosterone goes down, the sexual drive gets diminished, gynecomastia can ensue. They may also develop the secondary complications of uh, inefficient or inadequate androgen production, such as demineralization of bones, um, decreased uh, muscle tone, weakness, fatigue, which you may then interpret as a worsening of depressive symptoms, but in reality it could conceivably be a hypogonad state induced by a hyperprolactin state caused by a second-generation antipsychotic, most commonly risperidol. I want to spend some time on the adverse effects of antipsychotic medication, specifically the five most common ones, and these are going to be the most common reasons medications are changed or stopped, or uh, either by you or by the patient. Um, the first side effect I want to talk about is akathisia. Akathisia is a motor restlessness. This is the inability to remain still. You may notice rocking, pacing, or constant motion of a unilateral limb. Uh, it can also be a subjective manifestation of an inner sense of restlessness without any objective finding. This is often mistaken for anxiety, and so patient, oftentimes patients will be treated with an anxiolytic. Uh, sometimes akathisia is treated with a beta blocker um, to variable degree in effect. If it's so intolerable, um, then the drug may need to be stopped. Uh, akinesia, which is the absence of movement, uh, difficulty in initiating motion. This is a subjective feeling of a lack of motivation to move. This is often motivated, mistaken for either socomotor retardation as a complication or worsening of depression, or the patient may be just labeled as lazy uh, or lacking interest. So these are very real symptoms that must be considered, especially if you are prescribing psychopharmacologic agents, which are known to cause these uh, adverse effects. Another adverse effect is, uh, or dystonia. Uh, dystonia is a side effect. Uh, this is characterized by muscle spasms or spasticity of a muscle group, especially in the back or neck muscles. Uh, it is subjectively painful, as all pain is subjective, uh, often mistaken for agitation. Uh, or an unusual stereotypic movement uh, characteristic of schizophrenia. It's important that you do a good physical exam because you can actually see muscle spasm or you can feel the tendon or the muscle spasm. So I know we typically don't touch in psychiatry, but this may be worth doing to distinguish uh, dystonia from agitation or a stereotypic movement.
Pseudo-Parkinson's is another uh, adverse effect from antipsychotic medication. This is when the presence of symptoms of Parkinson's are produced by D2 blockade. Uh, and you will notice all the symptoms, and what we call that secondary Parkinson's. But you will see things like shuffling gait, uh, motor slowing, masked-like facial expression. They call that masked faces. Uh, pill rolling motions, tremors, muscle rigidity. Um, this masked-like facial expression is often confused with an affective blunting or flattening, so be mindful of what you're noticing and when you're noticing it specifically with respect to medication titration. If they had a fully reactive affect one day and then a couple of days later it flattens, well, Parkinson's doesn't develop that fast, so maybe the medication causing that, and you will have to dial that back. Uh, but again, it's all risk-benefit analysis. If you're getting overwhelming benefit from the medication, then sometimes the discussion needs to be had, what adverse and side effects are we willing to live with uh, if we can have uh, greater functioning across the board. Another one popularly discussed is tardive dyskinesia. Tardive dyskinesia, TD, is an involuntary abnormal muscle movement of the mouth, tongue, face, and jaw and it may progress to the limbs. Sometimes it is reversible, uh, it can be irreversible. It can occur as an acute process at the start of medication or a chronic condition at any point in the treatment. So they've been stable for years, they can develop TD at any time. The sooner you discover it, the sooner hopefully you will be able to reverse it, although that is not empirically borne out, that is also theoretical as much of the discussion of psychosis, schizophrenia, and psychopharmacology is. EPS adverse effects are caused by D2 receptor antagonism. That is when a dopamine receptor is blocked, the acetylcholine increases, which causes an increase in EPS because there is a reciprocal relationship between acetylcholine and dopamine. So how do they treat them? They treat them with things like oh, anticholinergics, antihistamines, dopamine agonists, and sometimes benzodiazepines. I hope you have found this review of psychosis and the neurobiology helpful. Um, thank you for listening.